Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I am your host today on the Sunday afternoon. We thank you for joining us here on MPB Think Radio, and we thank you for supporting the Mississippi Arts Commission. Today I have two very special guests, uh, the director of the Mississippi Museum of Art, Betsy Bradley. Welcome, Betsy. Hey, Malcolm. Good to be here. Well, thank you. And Betsy also served uh, as the director of the Mississippi Arts Commission once upon a time and uh, did an excellent job there and does uh, a mighty fine job at the Museum of Art. Also, uh, the new chief curator uh, at the Museum of Art, Ryan Dentis. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you for having me. And I think you... Having us. Absolutely. And I think you're also the artistic director of the Mississippi Museum of Art's Center for Art and Public Exchange, known locally as CAPE. Is that right? Correct. Yes, that is correct. So you you serve as both the curator for the museum uh, and the artistic director of CAPE. Let's just start, if if we could, uh, Ryan, with you and talk a little bit about CAPE, uh, just for our listeners who may not be familiar with the organization or that particular uh, initiative or program within the Mississippi Museum of Art? Sure. Um, so CAPE is the Center for Art and Public Exchange, which is an initiative, a, a significant initiative within the museum. Um, it's supported by the Kellogg Foundation, and the purpose of um, CAPE is to use original artworks, um, exhibitions, programs, and uh, engagements <clears throat> Uh, with artists to really increase the understanding and inspire new narratives um, for contemporary Mississippi. So uh, there are a set of values that we operate from, those being um, equity, transparency, and truth. And there are a number of goals that are supported, um, or that we support, which is to transform the museum uh, internally. So there's a lot of good, hard work that's happening to be more inclusive and really think about uh, diversity and equity and um, justice within the walls of the institution, within the people that work within our institution, um, to transform the museum audience, which is um, uh, a goal that takes time, and then to inspire um, personal transformation and civic action and to transform the kind of dominant narrative about Mississippi into um, something a bit more expansive and inclusive. And and Betsy, this is a, an initiative that was born certainly during your tenure and it's your brainchild. And I believe uh, Ryan will be the third director of the initiative. Is that right? Well, she will. she's working in partnership with uh, the second director, who's Monique Davis, is the managing director and Ryan's the artistic director. Um, we did start the program under the leadership of Julian Rankin, who went on to become the director of the Walter Anderson Museum of Art. Um, but just when we got Ryan on board, we felt like we could um, expand the leadership so that the artistic um, content can be as, as rich and fruitful as possible. And Ryan, you come to us, I believe, directly from Houston, Texas. Is that right? 
I do. I come from um, an organization called Project Row Houses, which is a community-based arts organization. It's located in um, a pretty prominent area of Houston. It's called Third Ward, um, predominantly African-American neighborhood. And I was there serving as a curator and programs director for uh, nearly eight years. Where, uh, where are you actually from? Where, as we say, where were you born and raised? Well, I was born in Houston, but I was reared in San Antonio, and uh, I, if you know, I claim um, both cities because my father's side of the family um, has deep ties to Houston, and then my mother's side of the family is that's where I grew up. But I was in Houston for summers, and I spent a lot of time there. My so much of my family still lives there, um, so. It's very much part of my my history. <laughs> well, we're really happy that you're here and and welcome to Mississippi and to I'm happy to be here. It's been, the arts community, you know, really wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it's been exciting. You know, it's it's a uh, it's an interesting moment to move anywhere, right? During a pandemic, but I I was talking to a colleague the other day, and it's been nice because you can enter in with some pace and really kind of understand the ways in which things are working. Um, you know, I was thinking if I if if I arrived and we weren't in a pandemic, Betsy would probably have us at um, donor dinners and art openings and you know everything else probably seven days a week. So uh -huh. um, it's been it's been nice, but I am looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely correct uh, about the aforementioned schedule. Uh, so Betsy, let's talk <laughs> let's talk just uh, uh, briefly about. The operation of a museum, and in this case, specifically the Mississippi Museum of Art in COVID-19 and what that world must look like, uh, both inside and out. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, you know, we had we had been kind of what we thought was perfecting this kind of approach to programming, which really was based on kind of close conversations between people in front of works of art and so bringing people together in a place with art really was the standard by which we we created all of our work and all of a sudden you can't do that anymore um, and we had to learn how to try to replicate some of that intimacy of um, you know close upfront conversation virtually and you know we have we've done some of it pretty well we've we've done some of it okay um and we're still learning so um even when you think you have a digital strategy something like covid really makes you stop and think you know we've really got to reinvent that so, I mean, that's kind of a, a philosophical um, issue. And then there are the really practical ones of no revenue coming in for three months, um, a fundraising model that's event-driven that needs to be reconsidered, um, and, you know, really a business plan based on corporate sponsorships and, and other contributions um, that that all needs to be thought of anew in the, the post-George Floyd moment when we really are thinking more and more about access and equity 
Um, so it's been really interesting. I don't think you can change. I can't any longer separate COVID from the kind of racial reawakening that's happening in the country. I think they're all mingled up together and um, in important ways that will be instructive to us as we're rebuilding our institutions going forward. Yeah, and I've, I've heard uh, this movement referred to as the third awakening, the first being the Civil War, the second, the Civil Rights Movement, and the third now Black Lives Matter. And I, I think it's interesting, uh, certainly an interesting time, I would uh, uh, think, Ryan, to move to Jackson, Mississippi, uh, and, and from anywhere, or from Houston, Texas, or anywhere else, and to arrive in Jackson, Mississippi during this moment. What, what does that uh, feel like to you, and, and how, how do you sort of uh, connect that to your work at the museum? Um, gosh, feeling. Um, so many feelings about uh, the, the question. I think, so when my husband and I, my now nearly a year old daughter, arrived here um, in early June, um, I guess about four weeks or five weeks after, it was determined that, sorry, the flag was coming down. Uh -huh. um, and so it felt exciting to see that um, it's more than a gesture, right? It's a symbol. It, it, it speaks to what people want to see in this city. And I felt really encouraged by, um, by that um, decision to be made. And and, and to be honest, I think when you're driving around a place like Jackson or just within Mississippi and then you see the Confederate flag, it is a bit jarring, you know, just knowing the history and where it all comes from. Um, so to not or to have the kind of decision be made um, that that would come down uh, is inspiring because I think it, it speaks to what most people want to see and partake in. Um, it also allows me to think that um, there are a group of kind of hungry individuals who want to uh, have more expansive conversations through exhibitions and programs at the museum uh, that reflect um, more women and people of color um, and the ways in which these conversations and representations are happening. So I'm here at a good moment. And, you know, the reality is I think the South is just, um, it is part of a, a kind of history of the country, right? Like we have these, um, I, don't know, I think the South sometimes gets a really bad rap because there are a number of different areas in the country that are, you know, have histories that are very traumatic and, and um, problematic. And I think that it shows up in certain ways, but in the South, it's like, well, you know, you could, you could, um, you know, you could just talk about like lynching as one, as one thing that um, points to it being the worst part of kind of like racism in this country. But it's beyond that, and I guess to, yeah, 
it, I'm excited to be here right now. And I think the museum has a really um, wonderful opportunity to bring as many new folks and uh, friends into the doors. So Betsy, you and I have been struggling with and dealing with the flag issue for all of our adult life. And in fact, our entire life. So, you know, Ryan's perspective is very interesting, having just arrived here and, and the significance of, of the removal of the of the Confederate symbol for her means one thing. What does it mean to you and to the museum? And how how does the Museum of Art uh, sort of connect to uh, issues like the flag and, and social and public issues? Well, I think that um, for the museum, uh, we're we're interested in um, the healthiest community we can be part of, and um, we think that art is is a critically important vehicle for addressing um, kind of the the things that keep people apart and helping to bring people together. Um, and visual symbols are clearly one of those things um, because, you know, it's not, as Ryan said, it's not just a piece of fabric. It is a symbol. It's, um, and it, the, the visual nature of it gives it that much more power. And so, you know, I think with all of the emotion that was surrounding that decision for, as you've said, decades um, here um, indicates that people are sensitive to to visual culture and moved by it. Um, so, you know, we we like to start with art and bring people together and get them to talk about the art in front of them, whether it's a portrait of Medgar Evers or um, a Gwendolyn McGee textile of a new sunrise um, to talk about their own personal stories um, and how they connect to that imagery and listen to people who are different from them talk about their personal stories and how they connect and um, find that there's you know new understanding and new new compassion and it brings people together. So we are really focused on um, art as a tool for healing, whether it's, you know, with Alzheimer's patients or cancer patients or, or people traumatized by racial history. Um, how can art be the thing that um, helps people move forward um, toward being their better selves and contributing to our community in a more fulsome way. That's great. My guest today on the Arts Hour, Betsy Bradley, who is the director of the Mississippi Museum of Art, and our new curator at the museum, Ryan Dennis. Uh, we're gonna take a break and listen to a little bit of music. When we come back, we'll continue talking about uh, operation, the operation of the Mississippi Museum of Art. Two exciting uh, exhibitions, one that opened on July the 8th, and another one that will be opening in September, one indoor, one outdoor, uh, and, and we'll talk more uh, to Ryan Dennis about the work that she does at CAPE uh, and at the museum. <laughs> 
Hi, I'm Malcolm White. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast. You can also hear the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. For access to more conversations with creative Mississippians, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I'm your host today. And for a few minutes more, I serve as the executive director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'll be leaving that post on September 30th, and someone else will be leading the charge, and that will be a beautiful day. My guests today are Betsy Bradley, former director of the Mississippi Arts Commission and current director of the Mississippi Museum of Art. Welcome back, Betsy. Thank you. And also new to our village, Ryan Dennis, who is the chief curator uh, at the Museum of Art and also the artistic director of CAPE uh, there. So welcome back, Ryan. Thank you. So glad I to have like you both with us. You like being a part of the village? Well, we're, we're glad you're here. So, Betsy, why don't you describe the current exhibition, which is a monumental, classic uh, exhibition of Impressionist Van Gogh, Monet, and Degas. It's a very beautiful exhibition uh, that we borrowed from the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts. Um, these all French paintings and about four, five sculptures uh, were owned at one time by Paul and Bunny Mellon. Um, so Paul Mellon is the son of the, the titan Andrew Mellon and collected a lot of, of art um, and had his you know fingers in a lot of different things, horse racing, English art, all of those things. These are the works of art that they lived with in their houses. And so... They're, you know, they're not enormous. The size of each piece is something you would imagine having in your home. Um, but they are really exquisite um, representations of all the big names of French art. So the ones you mentioned, uh, Manet, uh, Renoir, um, uh, Pissarro, Picasso, even though he was Spanish. Um, worked in France. Um, and so there's really not, there's not like a sleeper piece in the whole bunch. Um, and it, you know, we didn't, of course, plan to have it up during a pandemic. Um, but I'm certain it, you didn't. <laughs> but it has turned out to be really exactly what people kind of need right now. Um, people are really responding. They're they're 
coming to the gallery with their masks on and, and with timed tickets and standing six feet away from other people. But it's just, it's so immensely beautiful that they're just kind of letting the, the beauty of all this, these French paintings and the colors just wash over them. And um, I've heard people talk about feeling healed or a sanctuary. Um, and so it's really just a nice moment to get away from the noise um, and also the isolation of the pandemic. You talked about a few of the things that are different uh, in uh, a museum uh, visit, a museum experience. You talked about social distancing. You talked about masks. I'm sure there is some sort of uh, proper way to to wash one's hands uh, all about the facility. But you mentioned a time ticket, and I don't think everybody uh, who uh, maybe is listening today would understand what a time ticket would be about and and how that is also a very different type of experience than just showing up at the museum to see the exhibition. Yeah, we've always loved that, you know, you could spontaneously come to a museum exhibition, whereas with a concert or a performance, you have to plan it far in advance. Um, so this is a little different. Um, you either call the museum or you go online and make a reservation. And um, and we limit the number of people who can come during each 30 minutes so that it's not too crowded, so that people feel safe. So it's like a dinner reservation at it's a restaurant. It's like a dinner reservation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, Ryan, uh, I, I'm absolutely certain that this exhibition was planned, organized, and probably already in the building when you got there. Is that right? You're correct. And so yeah. you uh, were not actually a part of curating this exhibition, but I would love for you to explain to our listeners what a curator's role is uh, in an exhibition and in the day-to-day -day life of a museum. Um, yeah, um, the short answer. So a curator's role is to be stewards of the art. Um, to put the art in context for the viewer, um, to research artwork and artists that are um, making work of our time and from a historical context. Um, I mean, I think the word curator and how people have kind of um, come to understand it has e e really evolved over the years. There was a period about two years ago when I was hearing commercials that people were curating their closets, and I was like, oh, no, we have really um, devolved this term. Um, and I, I don't want to, you know, sound like a, a kind of a purist, but there is something really intentional about uh, the work of a curator within an institution like a museum or an arts organization um, that provide the um, impeccable stewardship of the art, um, but not just the art. It's an, um, I think a curator's role is to really engage with the public um, and provide some points of access and multiple entry points to um, share the meaning behind what the artist intended, what the artwork is trying to communicate, but also allow for some interpretation to be shared um, on one's own. 
And I guess that includes the permanent collection of the museum as well, right? Completely, yeah. So um, you're 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 over the permanent collection and all of the exhibitions that come and go as well. Yes, and we are actively working on building up our curatorial team. So that will be comprised of a curatorial assistant, uh, an assistant or associate of the permanent collection. Um, you know, I am one person and we have a pretty substantial uh, collection, but also an ambitious um, future uh, and, and exhibitions that are ahead of us. So we're excited and looking forward to the building of um, a curatorial department that uh, that is able to um, utilize our collection and contemporary art to expand our, our goals and visibility locally and beyond. Great. So, Betsy, you were uh, telling me that you, you also have, besides um, the Impressionist uh, exhibition that, that is was opened on July 8th and will remain open until January 10th, uh, the Van Gogh, Monet, Degas, and their times, but you were also telling me that you have another exhibition that will soon be open outside in the art garden. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Um, we wanted to make sure that that we had opportunities for people to have arts experiences outside the building as well as inside. You know, we hope that we don't have to shut down again, but I think it may be a while before people feel completely comfortable in, in large groups inside buildings. And so in Mississippi, of course, we have the luxury of outdoor weather, you know, 10 months a year. So um, I saw this exhibition at Madison Square Park in New York, um, the artist Leonardo Drew, and the exhibition is called City in the Grass. It's one major installation. Um, and thank goodness I fell in love with it, but Ryan already knew about it and was excited about it. And so we have very quickly um, been able to, you know, secure bringing it to Jackson and it will be installed next month. And Ryan, why don't you talk a little bit about Leonardo Drew? Uh, yeah, so Leonardo Drew is a contemporary artist. He was born in 1961. He's currently based in Brooklyn. Um, he creates these really large, large scale, like immersive um, sculptures that um, go through a period of kind of oxidation and, and burning and um, he really kind of distresses the work um, and and creates what really looks like these kind of laborious uh, sculptures that are then, you know, um, framed as kind of 2, 2D work. Um, so City in the Grass is Leonardo's first outdoor sculpture and um, about 100 um, feet long and 30 feet wide. It was very much intended to be um, for people to kind of engage with it as in sit on it, read on it, be in as much community as possible um, with it. Um, but we are bringing it and looking forward to having engagements that are a bit more social distance, but also activating it through various programming that we are working on now. 
and it will and that, be on view um, September the 26th. And how long does it stay with you? Until February 21st. Hi, I'm Malcolm White. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast. You can also hear the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. For access to more conversations with creative Mississippians, Subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes. That was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour. Malcolm White here on the Sunday afternoon. We thank you for tuning in to MPB Think Radio and especially for dialing in the Mississippi Arts Hour. We are here every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. on MPB Think Radio. Today uh, in the studio remotely, uh, I have Betsy Bradley, who is the director of the Mississippi Museum of Art. Welcome back, Betsy. Thank you. And our new curator at the Museum of Art, Ryan Dennis. Welcome back, Ryan. Great to be back. Glad you're here. So before we took a break, Betsy, we were chatting a little bit about the traffic uh, and who's able to come to the museum these days uh, versus you know, pre-COVID, uh, what percent would you say of your guests uh, are you seeing, uh, what, four months into the, the, the COVID pandemic? We actually are seeing, you know, a better um, attendance than a usual because of this special exhibition that we have up. But the people we're missing are... Um, about to be the school groups that had reservations for tours, the um, the students we would have had in art camps all summer, um, and the people who wanted to rent the museum for several weddings that were on the books and lots of events like that. So the day-to-day traffic has been picked back up and is good. It's just the kind of gatherings and event-driven uh, occasions that just aren't there. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, people just haven't gotten back to that yet, you know, understandably. Uh, so, Ryan, if you could explain a little bit about your job and how it relates to interacting with the community. And I know since you work you know, as the artistic director of CAPE, as well as the curator. Talk a little bit about engaging with the community and and that sort of public outreach piece. I'm sure. So um, it's an interesting question considering the moment that we're in and one that kind of keeps me up at night because um, my background, my kind of history of 
of curatorial practice has been uh, one that really situates exhibitions and public programs and the gatherings of people together. Um, so being that we're in this moment and that we cannot exercise that in the same ways is a little challenging. I mean, um, I think with the museum and just considering, um, I like the term engagement versus outreach because I think um, I want to find ways to have some type of reciprocity in this um, in the ways that uh, the dialogue and the exhibitions and the feedback is happening. Um, but it's something that I'm thinking deeply about and strategizing with our team. So the city in the grass, Leonardo Drew's work is really an opportunity to have some engagement with our community, right? It's outdoors um, for those that might not still be comfortable with coming inside. There's an opportunity to meet folks where they are comfortable. And I, I think that City in the Grass has the potential to do that um, while being kind of meditative and reflective and imagining kind of, uh, you know, just taking a moment to imagine a new moment for yourself and with your family and friends. Um, so hopefully, you know, these kind of uh, we'll call them, you know, kind of temporary public uh, sculptures um, is one way. And then with Cape, um, thinking about artists, both national through the National Artists in Residency Program or the um, state residency, <clears throat> having folks who are having artists come to Jackson and spend some time um, and really kind of creating some uh, dialogue and inter introductions and supportive networks for artists and um, and uh, the the city and the state residents can um, can kind of get to know each other and expand or think about projects that are responsive to you know the conversations that everyone is having. It's a moment, right? It's a, a true moment in time because I think there's not one answer. There's not a really clear solution either because every day things are changing right the numbers are increasing they're decreasing and um you know sometimes the news is not the, the most reliable we're being safe and and trying to care for ourselves and the communities that we want to be in the museum are right. just continue to be in dialogue with us and betsy i know uh from following your work and being connected to you through social media, um, that you've been real engaged in the sort of reopening of museums, both in Jackson uh, and across the state because of your affiliate program. You, you're connected to many smaller community-based nonprofit museums all across the state, arts uh, museums. So talk a little bit about the, the sort of process of of sort of weekly meetings of all of the museum directors and trying to get a handle on when is it safe to open? What would opening look like? You know, what has to be different? And, and, and sort of the strategies uh, around uh, all the museums in Jackson. And then again, with your affiliates. Yeah, this has really been one of the unexpected um, positive outcomes of this 
this time when we are isolated is that um, we've learned how to to meet each other in the digital sphere. And so while my national art museum colleagues have been meeting every week, um, it occurred to me that the, the people I wanted to talk to the most were the other people doing this kind of work in Mississippi and in Jackson. And so we started having the all the museum directors in Jackson, um, no matter what their discipline, um, come together and talk every couple of weeks about, you know, what what indicators they were looking at, um, sharing knowledge that they had gathered from whether it was state health officer or or somebody else. And then also the art museum directors across the state. Um, we've we started talking about cleaning supplies and, you know, signage and timed ticketing and all of those things that, that were new to us in many ways. So um, it has been really, it really, um, I don't know, comforting somehow, but also I've learned so much from uh, my colleagues and we're all committed to continuing to have these conversations because we'll say, one one director, for example, said something about receiving a gift of self-taught art, and we, then we all started talking about our collections of self-taught art, and why do we have these in all these separate places? Could we bring them together, you know, and, and tour them? That kind of conversation has come up, and so, um, yeah, it's it's been really helpful to to lean on each other and learn from each other um, during this time, but I, I think it means right things for the future too. Well, talk a little bit, uh, Betsy, if you would, about your fundraising strategy and, and how it has maybe evolved or changed uh, with with COVID um, and, and sort of how you, how the finances work, because for our listeners, uh, you know, museums of art are nonprofits. All museums are nonprofits for the most part, and they rely on federal state funding on private gifts on events all sorts of uh layered upon layered strategies of fundraising and i know it's something you do betsy all day every day because you have to you have to get up every day and try to raise money for the for the electric bill and every day for payroll and how do you see that uh changing or evolving uh in the COVID 19 phenomenon I think it's going to be really interesting. You know, we, um, as I said before, our kind of our model for both um, relationships with community and with visitors, but also for fundraising has been event driven. And I just think that's not going to be a stable um, way to plan a budget anymore. And so we are looking at different models. We thank goodness had already raised the money for our big fundraising gala uh, this spring, right before COVID hit. And our donors were very gracious and said, keep the money, we don't care if you have an event or not. Um, but not all organizations were that lucky and we certainly couldn't count on that every time. And so um, we're having to explore, you know, what, what are other opportunities to earn revenue? What do, museums do well that could be of value to other organizations um, that 
maybe we could charge a fee for. Um, so there's some real kind of strategic thinking happening right now about the business model. We have been lucky um, in applying for some federal and state, thank you very much to the Arts Commission, um, grant money um, that the CARES Act provided. Um, but, you know, those are one-shot deals. And our revenue, our event revenue is, 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 is down for a long time. So we'll start seeing even more and more the impact of this as we go into the next budget year. Well, we're about out of time for today's Arts Hour. I want to thank our guest, Betsy Bradley, the director of the Mississippi Museum of Art and our new curator at the Museum of Art, Ryan Dennis. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to Jackson and welcome to Mississippi. Thank you. It's been really wonderful uh, building with you and being on with Betsy. Repeat again the exhibits for us and give us the, the time frame before we go. Bingo. Degas and Monet and their times. Um, works from the Paul and Bunny Mellon collection are up through January 10th. And Leonardo Drew City in the Grass opens September 26th and will be up through February. Hi, I'm Malcolm White. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast. You can also hear the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. For access to more conversations with creative Mississippians, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org.